If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm sounding somewhat more excited than normal, even in a weird monotone for some reason, because holy hell, Syracuse just won their season opener. Uh, <laughs> here with you as always, Steve Haller, joining me as per usual, Andy Pregler and Christian Guzman. What's cracking, guys? Uh, who's got some flex tape? We need that for Garrett Schrader's helmet. Oh, my wife was watching all of the most of the game with me, and her first thought was these ACC ads don't seem as bad as usual. Then we got to Red Dog and flex tape and she and alien tape, and she's like, "Oh, this is what I remember. That's how we know college football is back." <laughs> It's not the story traditions. It's not the crazy upsets and way too close losses. No, it's the random infomercials that you get on programming. I honestly looked at Red Dog and I was like, huh, a tool I could use. And that's when I realized I was turning 30 in two weeks. There Welcome is. to my life, friend. Welcome to my life. Uh, uh, you know what was an all one size fits all tool? Tony White in the Syracuse defense. That was uh, a transition. Holy I was crap. Say, we are just segueing <laughs> all over the place here. We're segueing everywhere because Syracuse is somehow one and zero after a week. Like, and to be fair, to be fair, most projections said that if the winner of this game was going to score thirty one points, which they were not wrong about. Um, the part that they did not take into account was that Malik Cunningham and the Louisville offense decided to try to pound their head against a wall instead of do something actually productive against Syracuse. 
and they only ended up scoring, uh, you know, a, a very minimal amount of points. Uh, so Syracuse wins this one. We are now in the weird position where we get to be optimistic about Syracuse for a week. And so for those who might be wondering, uh, what does this podcast look like most weeks during the season? If you're new around here, welcome. So, Thanks for not, tuning in. What, traditionally, what does it look like it's not this. <laughs> um traditionally we take the first half of the show and talk about what did happen and we take the next half of the show and we talk about what will happen this week syracuse is playing yukon yukon is bad and syracuse opened as a no what makes you say (laughs) syracuse football opened as a 20 point favorite on the road against yukon um this is all you need to know if syracuse loses to yukon we are in deep deep shit uh, they should not lose to you. But that would also be the most Syracuse thing ever. It would be, but it won't happen. I, I will stake my life as a, as a uh, reputable news source on this. So, unlike in other weeks, we are going to spend this entire show talking about what just happened against Louisville. Again, most weeks it'll be divided between a, pre- or a post-game and a preview. This week, we're all a little bit jazzed. There was a lot that took place in this 31 to 7 win uh, over Louisville. Let's start with the obvious. Uh, gentlemen, the Syracuse defense that we knew would be good took on Malik Cunningham, arguably one of the best quarterbacks in college football, and held him to seven points, partially because Louisville was really stubborn with their scheme, and the other part because, my God, Tony White needs to get recognized for the in-game adjustment adjustments and schemes that he was doing to confuse Louisville. I counted at least three different times where Syracuse was running three entirely different looks, just like in the front seven at different times that obviously confused Louisville along with the loud crowd. And, uh, you know, Steve, you were there, so I'm looking forward to your, you know, general noise uh, pre- uh, recap. But in general... Tony White is somebody who we really need to have a conversation with as one of the best coordinators in college football, not just for what he does on the field, but like how well this team has recruited on defense without getting a true stud at any position. Garrett Trader, uh, not Garrett Trader, Garrett Williams's interception was an NFL play. And I, I, I think I tweeted this. I think everybody was tweeting this like that was one of the most impressive defensive single plays that I've seen in my time as a Syracuse fan. Bar bar none. Well, I mean, that's been a total of like three years, so not a high bar to clear. Oh, Uh, give me 10. It's been 10, which is really (laughs) best to make you feel old. Thank you. appreciate that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was that that's up there. And the, the way he read that out of zone coverage to just spot, oh shit, he's wide open. And then, able to get in position uh, didn't quite high point it but uh got it exactly where he needed to to keep it uh quite perfectly out of the hands of uh i can't remember if that was smith or who but um either way it was it was a thing of beauty and you could see it especially on the replay of their like the the camera from the corner of the end zone caught it it caught a, an angle that you could see into William's brain from of like his helmet shifted and you watched QB receiver ball or like QB receiver, QB ball sprint. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, that's what happened. I just watched the inner workings of Garrett Williams brain. 
It was great. And I, I think the the big thing, and as as you said, uh, Andy, um, was the looks that uh, Tony White gave to Louisville, especially with the young defensive line. And uh, they mentioned it multiple times on the broadcast. Tony White was just as concerned as everyone else about how the inexperience at the defensive line position would affect the Orange. And what he did to mitigate that was throw a lot of stacking the box and then varying how those guys came to the quarterback. Sometimes it was three, sometimes it was six, sometimes it was seven. And that was an excellent job to vary those looks and vary those rushes in a very unpredictable manner that prevented Louisville from doing much. I I think and Steve we can kind of, I we're going to talk about what happened on the Syracuse offensive line in terms of miscommunication. Do we not worry, to. we will get there. Uh, we do. Oh. Um, but one of the things that I thought was really interesting was in the I think it was the first or second drive. It was one of the first third downs that Louisville had. Um, Syracuse, the Louisville was clearly confused, and the Syracuse linebackers. It looked like Mikel Jones called it on the fly, which is my assumption that either he called it on the fly. And so they had prepared for it or he was getting told in his headset, like, this is what you need to do. He was bringing all the linebackers up to fill the gaps. And they were basically just playing a game of chicken with the offensive line. Like they kept running up, backing up, running up, backing up. And again, this is like basic football 101. Like you want to try to create confusion. You don't want the linebacker or the lineman to know where the blitzes are coming from. But at least it looked like that kind of confusion was not part of the pre-snap call. It was something that they saw something that was happening on the field and said, we have enough confidence in this group that you can execute these kinds of audibles on the fly and still do whatever it is the play call calls for. And the end result was a false start because Louisville was flinching like crazy. And again, I think we're finally seeing something here where Tony White's handprint is now firmly around this entire defense. This is no longer the Scott Schaefer era, pin your ears back defense. This is no longer the Brian Ward best attempt at mimicking the Scott Schaefer defense. This is truly Tony White's 3-3-5 hybrid. We are creating pre-snap confusion via looks. And I do not think enough people recognize how much of a game breaker this is for Syracuse to have this level of defense. That's not based purely on having an NFL starter in the front seven. <laughs> right. And I mean, as an offensive lineman, that really that has a chance to get to you. And there's there's two different like you can have linebackers that are good at that or like you can as an lineman, you can tell with some linebackers, uh, OK, they're showing, but there's no chance in hell they're actually coming Uh the way it was confusing Louisville, and I think part of it was they early you could see some of the the twists and delayed stunts uh, were really uh, wreaking havoc with Louisville's offensive line, which pains me because that was us like two years ago <laughs> watching the inverse of that. Uh, but you know maybe they saw something from that initial and like you said just made the audible on the fly whether it was white whether it was jones being empowered to make that call or what but it it really did work and it was it it worked all game uh i mean that was a a show that was put on 
Yeah, and Christian. Have, you, oh. they, and the only reason also why that works is because of the three guys, well, two and a half now, that Syracuse has at linebacker. Mm. Um, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it was needed in order to mitigate. That's probably one of the things that Tony White did to mitigate the inexperience at defensive line. You don't get to do that type of deception of am I coming or am I not unless you have three talented linebackers and Mikel Jones, Marlowe Wax, and Stefan Thompson are three talented linebackers who can disguise their defensive game plan for a specific play very well. Yeah, I, I was literally just going to ask, Christian, you've been one of the guys beating the Mikel Jones drum since he arrived on campus. Um, and it's really obvious that he is somebody who will get an NFL gig at the end of the season, whether he's drafted or whether he gets picked up in a Zaire Franklin type role of this guy is just too good of a leader in the middle of that defense not to get a look somewhere. Um, obviously, we'll get into the injuries and the Knicks that took place after the game in a bit. But just in the moment, one of the things that I was so impressed by during this game was how that linebacking crew contained Malik Cunningham, not just in the pressure that they brought and like what Steve was talking about, where they were maximizing the guys that they sent. But there were so many times where Malik Cunningham wanted to step up into the pocket and then there was a linebacker right there ready to run at him and forced him and credit to Cunningham, Cunningham saw that very quickly and then either threw the ball away or uh, ate it and basically took a, a loss or a sack. Uh, but overall, I thought that, that scheme was taking the spy concept and executing it in a way that Louisville could never really weaponize. They never took advantage of the fact that Syracuse only had, you know, a maximum of 10 guys in coverage because somebody was watching Cunningham. Like, over, like, I'm just so impressed with the way that those linebackers played that game. Well, and you got to give a lot of credit to the secondary as well, because Cunningham is known for being a dual threat guy. But against Syracuse, in just the, his, his history against Syracuse, he hasn't ever really run the ball well against Syracuse. He's, the way he's beaten Qs, if you just go look, back, go look back at last year, it was all deep balls and it was all deep passes that, you know, big plays results in big touchdowns. Syracuse really didn't give up a big play. They gave up two. One was on a fake one was on a trick play. And another one was on another broken scramble play. But on the set like plays, like those, the secondary held strong and he didn't give up the big plays, which was a concern last year of while, you know, the defense was solid, they would have this, they would have this, uh, uh, bad habit of giving up bad, uh, big plays from time to time. And he didn't give up those against Louisville. And that's what killed them last year. Um, in this matchup, and it was the reason why they got to five quick touchdowns because Cunningham just hit bomb after bomb after bomb down the field, and so a part of that is because when Cunningham stepped stepped up, that he was met with immediately an orange helmet in his face, and a lot of that also was due to the secondary. Uh, you could you can hear it a uh, click for Car uh, Drew Carter and Tim Hasselback on the call that they really didn't talk about Deuce Chestnut that much because he was targeted twice yeah. uh, throughout the entire game. And so that just goes to show just how much that Syracuse secondary went to work because the only time you really heard about the Syracuse secondary was when they were making a good tackle and just stopping a person and not because that person was out of position. And that's just the biggest thing is that they contained Cunningham and where they 
on uh, where they got killed, but basically by him in the most, which was the big plays, the big balls over the top, and then just doing the same game plan that they had against his legs the past couple of years. Yeah, and that that, that secondary, um, I, I guess one of the other biggest things we saw for improvement, I mean, for one, uh, the safeties in general, like all whoever rotated in there still looked fine. There were plenty of great, you know, plays from the first and second string. But the, the thing that stuck out in my mind compared to years past is open field tackling. And, like, during the game, I actually got um, got tweeted at by a friend of, friend of the pod, Nick Palzak, a good friend from back home, uh, my former physics teacher. Great guy. Uh, but he, um, he noted it, too, and, you know, said something, and it was like, right after Jihad Carter had that, like, open field stand-up on Malik, and it was just like, okay, yeah, we learned how to do this thing. It's fine. Uh, we're <laughs> we don't have to worry about it. Rob Hanna did the same. Like I don't know what Monroe and the rest of the DB staff had done in the off season, but open field tackling drills were definitively one of those things. So it, it's great to see improvement in that facet of the game, um, and it's something that's plagued the Orange for a long time. Uh, so them not just trying to put an arm on somebody, but being able to get a shoulder into people in the open field is huge. And they also mentioned on the uh, broadcast that Syracuse had a, had a couple of live scrimmages, and from the sound of it, they pretty they went pretty long the live scrimmages. Oh yeah. So that probably helps a lot as well. That you know, a month before the game out, we're not just you know one on one contact, we're in limited contact pads. We're actually going to hit guys. Right. And yeah, Babers yeah. strikes me as like a Mike Tomlin kind of guy where. Um, I know that there's like the obvious lazy racial comparison there, but it's more of the um, pra- like preseason camp is not a warm up period. It's an evaluation period yeah. and it is a we go hard from day one and your ability to sustain throughout that entire period is more indicative of whether you get starts as opposed to. Uh, where you are coming into that period, and which for, is great. Yeah. And, the, and, for the def- <laughs> and for the defense this year, I mean, for both sides of what we'll talk about in the offense, but since we're talking about the defense, other than at linebacker and in quarterback, it basically was a evaluation because yep. they still didn't know who they were going to start on defensive line. They didn't know, while they knew they had talent in the safety room, they didn't know which safeties they were going to start out as the ones and as the thrusted twos in the backup. So... That was an evaluation period, and it's and it seems like it's worked out so far. For a minute, I thought you said rusted twos, and I was like, I don't, I, I don't know what that. Yeah, means. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's that's what I, I was meant very for. confused. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, this is what happens when you're trying to like look at stuff and look up stats and everything. All like other yeah, yeah. people are talking. Yeah, we. We are not. We did not go through a Dino Babers off-season camp no, uh, before no. this first podcast of the I, season. <laughs> I'm not at full. I'm not at game speed right now. Uh, and I can tell no, you, yesterday in the press box, I was definitively not at game speed trying to come up with that quick <laughs> recap because it's been way too long. That's that's the it's, real reason we need bowls is so that our staff has another month, uh, a month less <laughs> gap in game coverage. <laughs> I, I kind of love this mentality, and it's true. I need another game to go drink at. Uh, so, yeah, I like this. Um in, in general. Before I, before I switch to basketball. <laughs> exactly. Um in all seriousness, though, this, this though, um, 
Sorry, that was a weird stutter, and I have been at Other Half Brewing. Shout out to one of the better breweries in New York there. Oh, along um, those lines, uh, I am having uh, one of the beers of the week this week. Uh, so following in the po- in the post-Casillo era, we are still doing our game day uh, beer picks. And uh, yeah, went with, went with the Jeviot's Porter tonight because, well, they're delicious. Um, Steve, on that note, uh, we can – this is a tangent for – a off-season show but i'm just gonna bring this up now went to the store today they had literal pallets of pumpkin and warlock at my local grocery <laughs> store that was not wegmans wegmans does not have them yet at least Whoa. not in brooklyn but the local like random grocery store here had a pallet of the two of them yep. so um i think it's still a little too warm for that but just want to let you know i will be partaking in that once it gets cold there you go um uh, but on the okay, so on the defensive front, I thought like Christian actually brought up a really good point. There were so many unknowns going into this game, um, in terms of personnel, in terms of who got snaps at what position. There was a lot more rotation in the secondary and on the defensive line than I thought there was going to be, including even in the linebacking core. I'm somebody brought this up to me in via text. Chari, shout out to Chari. Uh, this might be one of the first years that Syracuse has true depth on the defense. And obviously that depth is not at every position, but after years of being forced to play guys who are not ready, guys who are undersized at certain positions, uh, we kind of have a team that you can roll out specific players in specific positions for. And I'm here for it. And I completely forgot what a difference that makes on every single down. Like, you do not need a single player to win every single rep. You can find and make, uh, you know, make mismatches or at least give guys rests on plays where they're not expected to, you know, maybe necessarily need to make a play. Right. Um, the whole thing, like, this just feels like a leveled up version of the defense that we've that we've seen over the last two years. So and they're... I know the, compar- the comparisons to 2018 are going to be, you know, very enticing for fans. But like for, in, in that vein, because we're kind of in that same area of there was enough young guys who had to battle and who had to battle and suffer through getting absolutely beat up and tormented and torched by ACC offenses that now that they're experienced and those guys can be leaders and the young guys can just learn through osmosis by the veterans who have just been absolutely torched by previous ACC offenses. We're kind of in that same position now with this defense where you've had, where while the defensive line necessarily isn't that, the linebackers and the safeties and the cornerbacks certainly are, you know, after, you know, trotting out there after a quick three and out and then having to battle through a 15-yard, 15-play offensive drive that results in a touchdown uh, because of a goal line rush on fourth down and like that that because of that this defense now is elevated because of the experiences that yeah those guys had to go through see fourth and that's kind of for louisville or, yeah and, and that's kind of and that's kind of what happened in 2018 also is that those guys eventually had grown up and learned from those experiences and could pass down right those their experiences to the other guys below them so that they were ready to uh jump in if necessary so we're breaking the numbers out now uh 58 total snaps uh according to pff uh only five players played more than 50 snaps out of the 58 total 
Uh, the next closest was Justin Barron at 41. So if you want to get, you know, feisty, it's uh, five people played more than 41 snaps. Uh, Mikel, Jihad, Garrett, Marlowex, and Deuce. Uh, all were over 50. And then Barron at 41, Elijah Clark, and Okachekwu at... Uh, wow, that was a weird way I pronounced that. <laughs> at 37. <laughs> we're just going to let it happen. Whatever. Yeah. Like I said, we're not in midseason form. Uh, and then Gear, <laughs> Gear Litton. Litton got 31 as a pure edge rusher. Um, it was it was nice to see him worked in. It was nice to see where they brought him in. And it was nice to <laughs> see how much he did because he was really that disruptive. Um, you know, that may also have been because their starting right tackle got ejected, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. <laughs> Actually, can we can we take a pause from the numbers and talk about those plays a little bit? Because I did think that there was something kind of interesting that happened there. Um, minus the actual Linton injury that took place on that play. Um, Thompson. Thompson, sorry, Stefan Thompson injury that took place on that play. Um these cutback blocks and and so Steve, they were talking a lot about this on the broadcast. Okay. Um, about how the like obviously these kinds of blocks are what they're, you know, they don't want that they want don't want them to have a place in college. But at the end of the day, like, what are you really supposed to do in that situation? And I think we saw it on that play where one guy did not lower his shoulder and the other person did lower his shoulder. Right. Um, is is it really as simple as that for the differentiation where, like, don't lower your shoulder and you're going to be OK? And if you're in the, you know, you're Syracuse and you just had three guys go down two due to really hard blocks and one because the turf monster potentially ate his ACL, which fingers crossed that it's not that um, like how what kind of impact does that play have on a team when literally three elevenths of your team is down and the fact that Syracuse did respond well enough to like shut them down? Like, I just think that there's a like not to go soccer on us, but like I think there's a mental fortitude here that Syracuse has shown in multiple times through this game that they just have not had in past years. Yeah, also true. And I mean, the to bring it back to those the the crack blocks, um, yeah. The simple, Which also, why is it called a crack block? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> because you're cracking the shit out of them, and you don't have to do that. Um, like literally, like the whole the whole concept is, you can't have someone coming from outside, coming in and hitting a blind like guy who's focusing in here, uh, like focusing interior uh and like crack the side of him like literally crack his helmet um all you have to do is just get in his way you don't have to throw your entire body weight through his head uh very simple concept very easy to not do yes it's much more effective to go low and like blow his acl out but we don't really need to do that and it's understandable why it's 15 yards or you know 15 yards and a red card so um continuing our soccer talk because this is actually it's a soccer podcast in football season so um yeah i don't even know where i was going i just know that i hate those blocks like more than anything because especially anybody pursuing it's just you're you're toast and there's no yeah hope um and so the fact that syracuse didn't have more injured on just that play is something um but Let's get into the like not fun side of the defense. Stephon Thompson. Actually, for the record, I haven't seen either of those plays. Yeah, 
Because oh, I, I left the I left the dome at twelve fifteen ish, and uh, then had stuff going on like we were at the fair all day. Because you know, we, fair. You, yeah. No, I, I get it. I'm living fair. proof. I'm living proof that you cannot have to go to the fair the same time the Syracuse football is playing. So, um, <laughs> are you sure about that? Yeah, yeah. You can also apple pick on other days. It's possible. <laughs> are you sure about that? <laughs> Steve, we'll you're, you're really month, blowing but... our mind here. I know, I know. The Syracuse native does weird things. It's it's crazy. The radical um, ideas that you bring have no place on this podcast. No, we are we are a rational thought only podcast. <laughs> um, but honestly, you should watch. Uh, shout out! Uh, I'm working on a piece that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, ACC Network has uploaded condensed versions of their games, which are very simple. Yes, so they are every like positive yardage play that happens at, or big moments that's not going to help my so, offensive line rewatch <laughs> it's not but like it does have like the it does have the play that we're talking about here like it, okay. because you know somebody got ejected from the game like it has those pl- types of plays in so there as well yeah it's kind of like a 90 and 30 type thing yeah yeah. Just taking, mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah very and, very and helpful and for most of these condensed games it's pretty especially with the speed of these games move it's pretty pretty much every play yep. and they just show and they just show replays for like the big moments okay yeah so it's it's worth taking a look i think it was i think the louisville one's like 27 minutes or something like something it's like not that, yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it's worth watching yeah um so injury notes Stefan Thompson, uh, we don't know how bad it is. We just know that he was bad enough to be in street clothes, um, and, which is never a good sign in a tough first game, even though Syracuse was up. Like, optimistic side of me says it's severe, but they were up and they had faith in their depth. So he's only out for a couple of weeks. I was going to say this is bad. still week one. And when it happened, they were up, I think, two scores. So yeah. as as that evolves, you know, coming out of the half and everything, uh, you know, maybe they just keep him out and keep him undressed, yeah. especially knowing the depth so we'll, they have, which I'm sure we'll right. touch on with uh, Mr. McDonald later. Yeah, so we we won't know what we honestly we won't know anything from him until Bailey gets a breaking like gets a gets a source or something. Babers yeah. is going to put him as an or on the depth chart. It's going to it's going to be really annoying for a week or two. Um, perhaps more concerning on the offensive side of the ball. Like, let's just get these injuries out of the way. Uh, our boy Rhino, our large boy Rhino went down and it was not good. Uh, he needed to, like, they had the, you didn't see this on the broadcast, Steve, uh, Christian, I, you were watching the, the ESPN or the ACC network broadcast, right? So you yeah. saw the long, slow pan of Rhino on crutches heading yeah. back to the locker room. Um, that felt, Obviously, the fact that Syracuse won is huge, seeing that last year they did not win a game without Rhino, and already we have eclipsed that mark. Feels like talking about Arsenal with, you know, points. Last year they didn't get any points from a losing position, and this year they've already done more than that. Shut up, Christian. I know what you're about to say. <laughs> I'm playing Harry Maguire works! Uh, but Rhino's injury seems far more severe. For a yeah. guy that's got a history of injuries, specifically lower body injuries, this looked like a lower body injury to the max. Um, I'm not optimistic that we see Rhino back anytime soon, and that feels dangerous. <laughs> it's, it's bad in the feels. Um, one, thing, one thing I will note uh, if we're talking about how that looks for the offense, and I mean, I don't want to brush past Rhino because like, from a 
personal standpoint, like for the kid and for everything, it's just horrible to see. Like he came back, he came back to put the team on his shoulders, his very large, broad shoulders. And, um, you know, to, to see this happen week one is just absolutely rough. Um, that said, what we saw from Ane adapting to not having Rhino, um, you know, immediately instead of trying to replicate what they were doing, he switched right off the bat to 10 personnel and just started running a different offense, which last year it would have just been slot mang in for where Rhino was and try and do the same thing. So just watching that, I'm I'm more optimistic in the fact that this won't fall off a complete cliff if Rhino is in fact injured to the degree it seems. Yeah, I would like I, I hope that that's the case. I think that it's a big, big question mark to see what happens. Fingers crossed that this is going to be something that um, we can have resolved sooner rather than later. But I'm not optimistic just based yeah. off the way things looked. Um, oh, uh, for on the record, that... I do owe um, I, I do owe one of the people at our tailgate a uh, um, a, a losing or I, I lost a bet because I said uh, if there's I, I bet there was no chance we actually saw Gadsden line up with his hand on the ground and that it was tight end in <laughs> uh, situation or in, in title only. So um, I will pay up. I, I promise that. <laughs> well, I was going to say in things that you could have bet on that I would never have expected Derek McDonald playing in this game one and two getting a key interception uh two were things that i did not see coming and, and three, but here we are wearing number 81 <laughs> to really screw with christian and i <laughs> <laughs> yeah um seeing a white guy wearing 81 on the defensive side of the ball is just there for you to make mistakes i mean without their uh, helmet from broadcast view they look the same I don't disagree, dude. I had <laughs> I thought we had a tight end back there. I was like, when did Max Main get it come in on like hands coverage for for third and long? Uh, even though I know it's, that's not his number, but yeah, it's oh, like no. when you had like, my brain is it's, brain it's, like, it's like when you had LeQuint Allen and Isaiah Johnson on for each kick kickoff. <laughs> right. Like, uh, and they had to call it each time in yeah, the zone or something. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It took me a while to pick up on what they were calling each time. I'm like <laughs> Oh, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> because the audio in the dome sucks. Uh, well, that too. Yeah. Um, the in general, this uh, there is the depth that the linebacking position probably has is starting to scare me. And McDonald is obviously the the first guy to look at. Um, but on the defensive side of the ball, before we go to break and get to the offensive side, since we've already blown past the halfway part of the show, I don't have um, another who, recording, so we can go as long as we need to. <laughs> great. Uh, oh, who wonderful. who? Who on the defensive side of the ball were you most impressed with? Uh, Christian, we'll start with you. It's got to be Steve Linton because you you didn't. I don't think we knew how the defensive end experiment with Linton was going to work, especially just given the physical attributes that he had. We knew he was great as a linebacker, and that was not in the question. But as a sole edge rusher, that worked yeah. out pretty well. And now, now you have him, you have Greer, who didn't look bad. You have Hawkes uh, uh, as well, who seems like he's only to get better. And Linton. So now, and Okachukwu is going to 
be Caleb Okachukwu. Right. That that goes from less that goes from a serious question to slightly above fifty fifty now in terms of what you're expecting from the defensive line. Which is huge. Because if you just settle for fifty fifty from your defensive line on okay, maybe some sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. Like that that's what you want. And having Linton as a experienced option like that, as a guy who can be just solely an edge rusher and not have the the physical attributes of being two hundred ten pounds weighing him down of being an edge rusher, that really helps for Syracuse. Yeah, I uh, Linton was a big question going into the season as to what we we're going to see from him, and I think you're right. I think that uh, the way they used him and the way they were able to capitalize on using him was exactly what we had hoped for. Which, okay, I'm I'm not going to complain. Like we're thinking sunshine and rainbows, and the sunshine and rainbows actually show up. Like I'm I'm very fine with that. Uh, you actually took my pick because you know it had to be in the um, in the trenches, not with Linton, but with Jadis Gear who, yeah. uh, as as that other body, um, performed admirably. I mean, he wasn't, you know, knocked the doors off uh, as far as grading out. But, I mean, he, he slotted in right below Okachukwu and, uh, you know, made his presence known. So, as one of those guys, it seems like, you know, he was he was one of the, the solid choices for the spot. So, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll take him in my draft. Yeah. Greer had a perfect McKinley-Williams game of no tackles, but was annoying to deal with. And that's what you want from this 3-3-5. Oh, yeah. That's all we need the linemen to do. If you got three guys that can be really, really easy, or like really pissing off the opponents, then sure. And I guess Terry Lockett falls into the same same category. I was going to say Terry Lockett was my guy that I wanted to call out there (laughs) Um, to make it three for three along the defensive line. I thought that him and Kevin Darton both had like really nice games for rotational guys on that line. Um, Lockett stood out one because he is from Springfield, Massachusetts, which is kind of near where my wife is from. And she was like, I did not know that Springfield had football teams. So we did a deep dive into the high school football dynamics of Springfield, Massachusetts. If anybody ever wants to talk about that, I am more than happy to, to go into that. Uh, it's a whole and, microcosm and of the issues around high school football in America. Just want to call that out there. <laughs> and I have played football in Springfield, Massachusetts. So, yes, Springfield College. It is, a, it is a whole dynamic of why football is becoming more difficult to play at the high school level there. Anyways, yeah. he played really, Terry Lockett played really well. Um, but in general, I thought that, like, listen, the secondary had a great game. The linebackers were the stars of this defense. Um, but the defensive line against a solid offensive line counterpart and a team that wanted to run the ball and did, like, listen, negatives here, Louisville averaged 4.6 yards per carry. Um, that is a pretty effective running attack that you don't want to have week in and week out. That being said, part of that was because Syracuse did get to a point where we were like, why aren't you passing? And they just continued to run the ball and waste clock. And so we just seemed very content to say, okay, sure. Why and, go against game script and, and give us and, the win? And remember two of those plays are on a long touchdown to Evans. Yep. Yep. And another one was on a decent scramble by Cunningham. Yeah. Yep. And, and they, so, they, in the beginning yeah. of the game too, like Christian, you can probably attest to it as well, that 
there were chunks like early in the game especially when they switched to that second defensive line the first time the ser- the first series that second defensive line was in i was, was not pretty my yeah my brain was like oh we're in for yeah. a ride because they yeah. were just handing uh-huh. it off and like moving people uh-huh. and, yeah. and and the reason that touchdown scored was basically that the defensive line the second defensive line just got manhandled yeah yep. on on that run mm-hmm. yeah. and and it, it, it's gonna they happen. adjusted that, <laughs> they, that's yeah. all we can ask yeah, for. To, to their credit like yeah like you said they adjusted very very well and that's a big reason why syracuse won this game yeah very much uh, so including so chase 40 simmons, minutes in has, uh, <laughs> chase simmons did have the the quality 90s shirt under the jersey like shirt flowing out under the jersey uh look going for him channel right, chase simmons chase, chase simmons also had the quality of roaring after every single play he was oh, involved yeah, in. yeah very much <laughs> yep so i yep. like 90s football coming back in some weird ways this is i mean these kids honestly the terrifying part is that these kids were not alive during 90s football so no, like, they, don't just know, they, don't, they don't know that those of us that played 90s football made these mistakes already <laughs> They're young. They're new. They will learn from their own mistakes, yeah. not from I, I they're not, they're not. They're not. They're not old enough to recognize who Dwight Freeney is when they're showing 50-50 shots of Michael's spin move and Dwight Freeney's spin move. Oh. I forgot that they did that during the during the broadcast. Um, Wait, Michael yeah, bro- Jones, who uh, threatened Louisville eating their children and such. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was totally a real quote, by the way. Like I, I just quoted Mikel Jones about as accurately as Louisville seemed to have. Mm-hmm. The uh, man, this is a weird game. Uh, oh, halftime. <laughs> it's halftime. We haven't even talked about the offense yet, so we need to get in our sponsor, Homefield Apparel, maker of the finest vintage collegiate apparel that you will find on this side of the interwebs. They have a Syracuse collection that's great. They have a any school that you want collection that's great. They have an Indianapolis Colts collection that's great if you're really into these NFL professional type footballers. Uh, in general, they make some of the greatest, comfiest clothing with vintage collegiate mascots that you will find. But if you are somebody who is listening to this show and goes, you know what? I just want a really comfy t-shirt. I do not want a cartoon goat that used to be the mascot of Syracuse. I do not want a giant angry wave that is ready to fight somebody. I do not want another great college mascot on your t-shirt, but I still want a vintage t-shirt that looks and feels great. Homefield Apparel now has you covered with their basics collection, which is basically all of their stuff without mascots on them. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but if that's more your speed, they have that basics collection available now. I can guarantee you as somebody who wears their shirts pretty consistently, literally right now, for those (laughs) of you who are listening to the podcast and can't watch me, uh, it is one of the most comfortable t-shirts that you'll find. If it didn't have a Vita the Goat logo on it, I would wear it, but Vita the Goat makes it 10 times better, so I'll wear the one with Vita the Goat on it. Oh, I can um, say, by the way, my current dome count for Vita the Goat shirts is four. There were, four, there were at least four last night that I saw. We are, I mean, listen, Homefield, you have done your job. If you were one of those people who were not wearing a Vita the Goat shirt at the Dome, but want to partake in this great experiment that we are doing, use promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order at Homefield Apparel. We love these guys. 
Um, Christian, Steve, and I are waiting a check that's coming in the mail. I have sent the invoice off to them. It is being processed. We are going to buy a bunch of home field shirts for this upcoming season with that money that could go to something else. But let's be real. It's going to home field apparel t-shirts. Uh, this is a great Ponzi scheme you guys have going. Connor, I love you, <laughs> but this is kind of evil. And I, I also respect you the fuck for it. So here we are. <laughs> oh, God. That's great. I, I do love their stuff. It's just so comfy. It really is. Um, it's really great. Uh, you know what else fit like a glove? Sean Tucker hard cuts. Uh, oh, we did it ever. <laughs> Holy moly. We talked about this. Uh, Steve made a joke last week about how it didn't matter what holes the offensive line opened. Sean Tucker was going to cut no matter what. And there were some points during this game where, um, again, I was watching with my wife who does not follow Syracuse football to the extent that everybody else does. And she was like, he's really fast. And I went, let me show you his track photo. To which she responded, (laughs) (laughs) to which she responded, that man runs track? Question mark? (laughs) Yeah. And it was exactly. That man runs track. (laughs) It is exactly what you expected. Uh, But those legs were just cutting hard left and right. Um, Once again, Something to call out. Tucker rushed for 98 yards, so he is yet to run for 100 yards without Chris Elmore, even though this is probably a technicality, and I kind of wanted him to stay in the game to get that mark, but it it felt appropriate. Um, Tucker had probably one of his most impressive games I've seen as a Syracuse Orange player. Um, the, the, The scheme changed multiple times on the fly, and he consistently was able to make space for himself. Uh, Christian... One of the things that I think gets underrated with Tucker's game is just uh, his speed. And that screen pass where he literally ran away from everyone is literally like we joke about the track thing. That was something that he did last year against less than power five teams. Uh, I don't know if there's any team outside of Clemson or Notre Dame that can field guys that can catch him if he gets that head of steam going. Well, we're talking about cuts as well. That play starts off with a nasty cut that makes a guy miss, and then he's gone, which is awesome. But the the impressive thing about Tucker uh, in this game, and it was based on the scheme, was basically the real routes to the outside that he just ran. And like, yeah, this I'm gonna dive more into this uh, on a piece on Tuesday, uh, but. Hey, guess what, guys? Syracuse can use pre-snap motion. What oh, yeah, yeah. concept? If you, if you told me last week <laughs> that we were going to see a running back motion out to the wideout slot and then run a tunnel screen, I would have told you, go home, you're drunk. Because oh. we haven't seen that in forever. And it was just like, like you said, it was like, he catches it, he makes one guy miss, and then he's gone. He's just... And, and 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 the best thing about that also is like this is the way as everyone around Syracuse has asked for this is the way you get Sean Tucker to 35 40 touches a game without him rushing the ball 35 to 40 times a game because as i tweeted out uh, during the game it's almost like good things happen when Sean Tucker touches the football weird weird Never it's like it. it's like what what a concept <laughs> for the public to understand yeah and i think that that in turn 
helped Schrader connect with his receivers as well. Because once Tucker became a a option in the passing game, Louisville had to respect that. So basically, that left Schrader with one-on-one matchups that he could easily hit with his improved accuracy, which we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, we're but burying because... the hell out of that lead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But I just want to point out something that yeah. Sean Tucker was Syracuse's leading rusher and his and the leading receiver. He had 183 total like all-purpose yards. Um uh, Garrett Trader was very close behind him with um 237 yards in the air and 95 rushing, so like obviously he got a lot of the accolades. But to be a running back where you are the focal point of the offense and to put up nearly 200 yards of total offense when everybody was keying on you, I I know that we are kind of making glib over the fact that like a Sean Tucker Heisman campaign is in the works. This guy might be one of the five best players in college football this year. And I don't think that that's that outrageous of a statement to make. I well, and, forget- and, oh, Go for it, Chris. And, and, and just to tie it all back, a lot of credit has to go to Robert and they, yeah, because yeah. of the scheme that was put in because Schrader, because as we've been asking, Schrader now has options because receivers aren't running the same three routes every game. When's the last time you saw a corner route from a receiver? And we saw that from Aronde Gatson in, in the touchdown throw. Yeah. Like, what a concept! Well, and we saw that we saw that in the um, uh, the missed, like him and I can't remember who it was, but on the, Isaiah the Jones. Side, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, same kind of route. It's like what we can use that part of the field. Yeah, that, that does exist. Okay, just like you were saying with Tucker, like get him the ball in space. We can do that. Okay, <laughs> and lo and behold, it works. Go figure. It's it's just I mean, okay, let's get to the let's let's eat our vegetables first here. Um and by eat our vegetables we mean we let Steve eat his beef and we talk about the offensive line. Oh the, boy, here we go. The biggest negative from this game is the offensive line play, specifically the number of penalties that the offensive line took pre-snap. Yeah. Um this was also probably the most pre-snap no sh- motion that this offensive line has seen in its entirety at Syracuse in a single game. It's entirety so, at Syracuse, probably entirety ever. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um and and so on the one side, I understand that a game in the dome is very different than any kind of simulated scrimmage or practice that you run. Especially once you make that first mistake, you're going like you're going to get inside your own head and you're going to continue to make this mistake 10 times worse because it becomes a mental game as opposed to a reaction game. Steve, that being said, I am slightly terrified that this quote unquote new system that they've had all year to install looked this messy out of the gate. Um, I we were we were everybody was pinging you. Everybody was asking you, like, talk us through what the hell is happening here. At the end of the day, is it really as simple as this is the first time that they were let out of a controlled environment and this is what happens when you let them out of a controlled environment? They just it's going to be it's going to be rough sailing. I think it probably is. Uh, First thing, uh, I I do want to take 30 second time out. Go back to the Sean Tucker thing. The way they utilized him caused him to only be used to pass block twice. Go figure. Uh 
Okay, it's, he it, threw one chip that was like a pretty solid chip, yes. and I was like, ooh, I hope that they catch that in PFF. So, <laughs> so he actually graded out as a 73.2 pass blocker. <laughs> he was um, one of our better pass blockers. So, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, but oh, back, my gosh. I love I, this. I figured I'd throw, you know, throw that out there to soften the blow of what the hell. <laughs> because even, <laughs> even with, agree. like, when, when we were talking during the game, you know, we're at the half. There's, you know, uh, some some issues here and there. Um, before they finished with 18 penalties for 107 yards. And I remember that because it was like, I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's that bad. Oh, okay. Because um, I put I put it in the postgame piece and I was like, oh, boy. Um, most of those being pre-snap, which mm-hmm. is mildly insane to say. Uh, also, the fact that it wasn't just... Of a home just, team. Of a home right, team. <laughs> also, the fact that it wasn't just offensive linemen. Uh, you had Trevor Pena's wonderful... Uh, oh, my God, yeah. He, oh, my God, I forgot oh, about he, that. He toasted that kid on that route. Like, yeah, he, he did. He did. It's just it's the just, rest of the team was a, standing it's there. A, it's a shame no one else moved. Right. Like, the two oh. of them were battling it out, hammer and tongs, and the rest of the team's just like... What are you? What are you guys you, doing over that there? That was that was that was the epitome of a script, a one v one during practice. Oh, 100 percent. Well, you well, you know you, you you have the other guys just standing there for window dressing, but you die. You guys just go because we're just folk. The coaches are focusing on that side of the yep. field. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> oh um, man, I forgot about that play. Oh yeah, yeah, it was great. But no, I remember. That was right down below the box, and I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> oh, they're really going at it. Okay, cool. <laughs> so. But yeah, I mean, it's it re- like is there's there's no good way to you can't really couch it outside of like you said it's a new system, live environment is always mm-hmm. going to be different, even like even mentally like you try and you try and put out the fact that you're um, you know in one on ones and in thud you're playing against guys you know you know their tendencies you know their ticks you know what's going on. Uh, you're more likely like guys aren't on your own squad. People aren't able to pull you off sides as easily when, when you go live, things change. It's a different feel. It's a different tempo. It's a different atmosphere. You have all the other distractions. You have the crowd, you have everything, but to the degree that they, I wish I could get a breakdown of how many were illegal procedures and how many were like, how many of those 18 were holding. There was like, I think only one or two. Yeah. There was probably only one or two non, like to be fair, like or... on both, yeah, but on both sides of the ball, they let a lot of holding go. They let a lot, yeah. and like, listen, I'm fine with that. Like, but if there it, were a couple of calls call on both sides both ways, that were. It's like okay, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Thirty second timeout as yep. well. Tony White just tweeted something out. Um, I'm going to put this in our Slack chat so you can see uh, because kind of like what the special teams guys were doing back in the day. He's now tweeted out his awards for uh, for this week, and, oh. and they and they and they have names. Oh boy, this is great. Tony oh, White. This is absolutely the, great. Oh my gosh. The Mob Awards. Week one versus Louisville. What does Mob mean? I don't know. But it says Game Ball, Garrett Williams, Effort, Kevin Darton, Strongman, Steve Linton, Home Run, Derek McDonald, War Daddy, Marlo Wax, yeah, that's War Daddy, Mikel Jones, Big Hit, Eric Cooley, and Justin Barton. Um, Eric, Steve, that, that's you're, Eric Cooley you're, and Justin Barron for anybody who's <laughs> trying to track. Not sorry. their alter egos. Uh, 
Yeah. yeah. I got distracted there because, Steve, I just, you are now the war daddy. You are our war daddy <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> oh, we've officially oh, lost man. it. We have officially yep. lost it. That's, Dear Homefield, that's please make a war daddy t shirt. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Also, uh, um, all of their Christian, all of their shots thank you for bringing us into our life. Yeah. Oh, oh, God. So good. So good on so many fronts. <laughs> What what the hell is I'm he sorry. Uh, I don't even know. This needs to go. We need to have Michael just ask Tony White, what the hell is a war daddy and how can we be part of it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like in hindsight, I wish this had come out and I would have hung around for the presser instead of like, you know, it was already the middle of the night. And I was like, I have a five year old that's going to wake up way too early. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, next, next home game. Michael, hold that one in the chamber. You know, uh, ask for ask for a definition of mob awards and what exactly is a war daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Or don't if you'd like um, to keep your credentials. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. No, I think Tony White would be into this. Um, uh, the broadcasters during the game at some point said that like Robert Inay and Nay and Dino Babers were both very like calm and uh, very muted. Not muted, but like. They were More fine subdued. during the yeah. during the yes yeah, subdued is a great way and then Tony White apparently was just giddy and like jumping out of his seat during the interviews. I think Tony White is just our energy in general. <laughs> like yeah, he he strikes me as a guy that could come on this podcast and hang very well. <laughs> yeah, um, sounds good. Also, I just I just tweeted at I'm doing the at home field thing where I tweet at them and ask them to make a t shirt until they just do it. So yep. anyway, more daddy coming your way uh war daddy keep talking about the offensive line and what happened <laughs> oh is that what we we're talking is... about yeah yeah <laughs> we went that far afield okay yeah we've been everywhere Sorry. back again okay cool yeah um uh veterello what was going on at center because i think that was the obvious one was he just getting picked on or was he actually like the the core of a lot of the issues well it could be a combination of both. Again, like from the booth, it's hard to see. And I'll add more for you on Wednesday. I know, Christian, there were a couple times where I was like, is it Veterello or is it like everybody and they blame the center like they do oftentimes? So, and you were, you know, saying that it was that. So yeah. we'll see where and what that does. Um, I would not want to be a fly. Well, I would love to be a fly. I would not want to be a person in Mike Schmidt's uh, line meetings this week because, well, um, Somebody, somebody will be leaving with multiple assholes. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> up one side, down the other, because that was not a good, not a good anything. Um, uh, Chris Bleich did win the PFF award for, uh, or the the Aaron Service Award from PFF for pass blocking uh, in the twenties. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I don't think Bleich was that bad. But again, I'll. I'll fill y'all in more on Wednesday because I have it, a lot of film to watch. I think I think a part of that was that he had a couple bad holds. Yeah, and I think yeah, couple couple holds, uh, at least two false starts. I'm pretty sure uh, they passed the torch around a lot because I think everyone except Bergeron yeah. had a, uh, uh, everyone, a false start. Everyone except Bergeron had a false start. Yep. So you know, I don't uh, think Bergeron had a penalty, which is Matthew Bergeron for you. Right. Well, last year he had a couple of. Uh, real stupid ones here and there but it was like spurts of stupid and then the rest of everything was fine so um 
Spirits of Stupid. Is that the subtitle for this podcast? Uh, yes. <laughs> the uh... <laughs> the Syracuse football twenty twenty two season. Spirits of Stupid. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, run blocking. Uh, Bergeron, Bleich, Ellis all looked solid. Um, Davis, middle of the pack, also above the Mendoza line. Devon Cooper. Yeah, yeah, Devon Cooper. <laughs> Fourteen run blocks, seventy two point six out of the slot. Like, okay. You're onto something, dude. Like, stock block your way to whatever. So, um, yeah. yeah, the only the only alignment under the Mendoza line for run blocking was Veterello at 59.4. Um, at this, and for the record, on PFF, the Mendoza line is 60. So mm-hmm. um, he was literally just under, uh, which is a drastic change from everything we saw last year where uh, most yeah. of the linemen were under, and it was rare if we got somebody over. Um, mm-hmm. On the pass-blocking side, you had actually three, Bergeron, Davis, and Bleich, all under the Mendoza line at varying degrees. Uh, most notably, Bleich at a 29.6. Um, and then Veterello leading the pack at 75.8. So, I don't know. It's it's tough to tough to get a good gauge from what I saw and where I saw it. I was trying to see see into the trenches, but you know, from the sideline, yeah. it's really tough. Like, I need me, I need me an all twenty-two someday, or a camera angle that's, you know, more more better. The all twenty-two is is just the dream that we will never get. Um, yeah, that, but I this, will continue to ask the ACCN for it. <laughs> this podcast will go like two hours every week if we can get an all twenty-two. <laughs> um, speaking of all twenty-two breakdowns, let's talk about Garrett Schrader. Um, oh, finally, we're, we're, an hour, we're an hour in. Yeah, we're an hour in. We finally get the Schrader. Um, we're we talked talk about, about probably the number one reason why Syracuse won this game. Carlos Garrett Schrader coming in for Schrader when his helmet fall off. That's what yes, it was, right? Okay. Uh, one, motherfucker has got to get some super glue on that beard. Dude, <laughs> come on. Two t- one time, shame on you. Two times, actually, shame on you again. But, like, really, that was, that was dumb. Um... <laughs> Um, See, Garrett I'm, Trader... I'm, I'm putting out grades tomorrow, and I was really tempted to give Schrader an A minus just because his helmet popped off twice. No, you should have a second line on him for Garrett Trader's beard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he gets an A, his F. beard gets a C. Yeah. <laughs> um, Schrader, 18 of 25, 237, two touchdowns, QBR of 77.3. He rushed for another 95 on 16 with a touchdown. Um, best PFF grade of the week. Um, there's a lot that you can say about him. No, no, I'm working me, on. Let me re-qualify that because you said best PFF game of the week. You said that, and in the flow, it seems like best Syracuse PFF grade of the week. But no, oh, it was not. It the was best. the best PFF grade of the week <laughs> overall. He is... <laughs> yes, he was. I mean, the I'm, best... I'm not sure. I'm not sure about like the other positions, but among the Power Five quarterbacks, number one. Right. Which is, again, we saw some great quarterback performances this weekend, and Schrader, to be fair, played his ass off. There is there is no other way of putting it. Um, one of the things that I'm looking at, and the first thing that we said, and I kind of appreciate um, Robert Inay's thri- uh, uh, flair for the dramatic, where he did really an MCU sequel here, where the f- opening scene of every character's second or third or fourth movie is the let's establish how much more powerful this character is this yeah. time around than the first time <laughs> through. Yeah. And that's, so that's, we're going to Captain America on the Lemurian star. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. And this was instead of kicking somebody off of the boat after diving off of an airplane with no parachute, uh, Garrett Schrader threw the tightest spiral on an out route that I have seen. For oh, first yes. Down. Right. Mm-hmm. And then his second throw was the deep out that uh, amazing catch. But just the ball was placed in the one place where no one else was going to get it. And I I was impressed. I was at that point like, oh, we are dealing with a different Garrett Schrader here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were like, remember, his numbers should be better because yes, there yeah. were three balls that were easily catchable that were dropped. Oh, that Alford one on the, the out route really like that burned yeah. me. I was like, yeah. oh, and he that look yeah. he gave Schrader was like, dude, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's on me. That's on yeah, me, bro. It's just like, I, sorry, first, my bad. Next round of Chucks is on me. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, also, welcome back, Chucks. Welcome, welcome back, back Chucks. Chucks. Um, I think one of the things that got me about Schrader, and I'm, I have a piece on this that I'll drop sometime this week. I'm just going to give it to Kevin and say, post one more light, and you want the comments to blow up. Um, I basically found a bunch of the condensed... This is how I know the condensed games exist. I went and looked at a bunch of Garrett Schrader footages from the Louisville game, um, took some throws that he made to both sidelines and down the middle, and then looked at games from last year and how that compared on his throwing motion because we the first thing that we all said was on the replays it looks like he's throwing the ball differently and i can confirm again i am not a sports uh uh, motion expert i played baseball i didn't play football so i know that the two throwing motions are inherently a little bit different however From what I picked up as a baseball hardcore fan and as a baseball player who attempted to pitch for a while, um, Schrader has changed pretty much every facet of his throwing motion. And a lot of it comes down to his balance. Like, I don't think he's fundamentally changed the way he throws his football, but he is so much more balanced throughout the entire throwing motion that it has subtly changed a little bit of everything. And it's amazing what that kind of attention to detail can do on his overall game. Because some of those deep throws, like you said, uh, like you said, Christian, like that Alford one, beautiful throw, should have been caught, and Alford just completely whiffed on it. Um, by my count, there were only two throws that were thrown behind the receiver, both of which ended up being incompletions. One was the typical Garrett Schrader dart into the ground where he was trying to throw the ball a bit too hard. He ended up leaning forward and throws it further down in the motion than you want it to be. And then the other one was the play over the middle. Um, I think it was caught on the supposed to be caught on the 30 yard line, uh, but the Louisville player smacked it, it. like hit the ball on the helmet, but the receiver still had it. It wasn't that far behind him. It was just in order for that play to be a a reception. You had a very small window where it could fit in, but he still hit the guy. It just wasn't perfect. Yeah, that that dart was the Cooper kind of uh, slant route, like five yard slant and uh yeah, I remember seeing that. I'm like, oh, he's got space if he puts that on him. But um, but yeah, overall, I, I think that might have been part of what I had seen in the spring game. Like, I remember, like, nobody saw him active, but we saw him yeah. throwing warm-ups in the spring game. And there was something that looked very, very different. And mm-hmm. that might have been it. And I am looking forward to the the breakdown that you, you put out on that one because whatever they changed and you know i i think we all thought when beck came in that he was going to work with him on 
fixing the problems, um, yeah, it seems to have worked. So uh, hopefully that keeps up. I don't know how sustainable it is or what what it'll do if he has some pressure on him because, again, to be fair, he didn't have a ton of pressure. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't know if he didn't have a ton of pressure or he cut and ran <laughs> appropriately. Which yeah, is weird I think for that's him. the. I think that's the big point. He showed a lot better decision making out of the pocket. Yeah, yeah. as to when he left the pocket. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he definitely still had people in his face, but um, and also that one, I I couldn't describe it any other way in the the post game other than it was like a twenty three yard scamper, mm-hmm. where he mm-hmm. like kind of hopped away from one guy and like pulled the. It was yeah, yeah. it was a very Aaron Rodgers type. Uh, maneuver yeah. of like oh I'm just gonna take a half step here and then oh I'll roll around back and oh no one's open I guess I'll just take it and run uh, and it was for a first down it ended up working out for like on a first and or a third and 20 like first down but it was it seemed effortless and the right decisions instead of last year where we were like why'd you do that like you tucked too early you should have let it play out um, you know there were a bunch of different options that he could have taken and it, it really was like his decision making. I don't know. I don't know if you can change everything about your game in one off season, but he sure seemed to. Yeah. It's it's again. We'll see what happens as as the season moves on. But like, I am very impressed with the changes that have been made. And Christian, we we talked about this so much, like in the preseason. This season was really going to come down to quarterback play. In the fact that if Syracuse is a two dimensional offense versus a one dimensional offense with how good the defense is, like there's a path to six wins here. Um, and kind of like ending this on a positive note, Schrader's play shows that there's a foundation, there's a floor here that is higher than we thought it was coming into the year. Definitely. And I, th- I think a large part of my preseason prediction in terms of what Syracuse would finish at with an overall record was based on the floor being much lower than what was shown here on game one. Uh, We'll see what happens because now that Purdue game becomes very, very interesting because, because while, while Louisville was good and they should be a fine team in the ACC, that defense isn't necessarily a top ACC defense. Purdue is while an average big 10 defense Still around, if I remember correctly, a 30 in SP plus for defense. And I believe Louisville was somewhere in the 50s. So that will be a significant upgrade as to what you may come to expect in terms of the more relevant competition you'll be facing in that gauntlet of the six-game stretch after the bye. Yeah, the uh, Purdue Purdue's uh, ranking in SP plus is basically um, around their offense being pretty mediocre to below average for most of the year. Obviously, they finished on a bit of a heater, um, but their defense was always stout all year. So their defense is probably more consistent otherwise. Um, for those of you wondering, why are we talking about a game that's happening in two weeks? Well, it's because Syracuse plays UConn this weekend. Uh, UConn is bad. <laughs> oh, what makes you to- say? UConn lost to Utah State in week zero by 10 points. Utah State lost to Alabama by 51 points. Um, so hey, don't UConn, think Utah. UConn won 
uh, this week against Central Connecticut, an FCS team. Yeah, twenty-eight to three. It is a. We are going to the. We are going on the road to let everybody know. I will be at that game, so I will Ooh, text the out the. Yeah, I will be tailgating beforehand. So if anybody would like to attend the uh, Noons Magician slash uh syracuse is playing in yukon tailgate i will let everybody know where that is um but christian uh syracuse opened as a 20 point favorite are you taking are you taking the points or are you taking uh yukon i'm taking the points yeah i i think that syracuse should win this one pretty easily uh steve you froze on my screen christian are is he frozen on your screen yeah, he's uh, a little frozen on my screen as well oh well, you guys look funky on mine but we can still hear the audio so Great. Yeah. Uh, are you taking Are you taking Syracuse over twenty, or are you taking UConn? Uh, minus, or are you taking UConn plus twenty? I'm taking the points, and uh, I, they haven't said an over, but I'm taking the over. Yeah, I feel like this could be the Sean Tucker. Uh, remember the Albany game last year where he just like hit all the <laughs> yeah. marks before yeah. the, before halftime. I feel like yeah. this might be that game. The, yeah, this yeah. is going to be the Quinn Allen's coming out party. Is this a game where we said a over under when Carlos Del Rio Wilson shows up? He might show up in the third quarter for this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not a not a horrible horrible shout, but uh, at the same time, you know, I don't I don't want to overlook them. But what's Jim Mora thinking right now? That he wants to go back to the Giants. <laughs> Ooh, that's bad. Yeah. Uh, on that note. We have gone an hour and 15. You are now in college football season, ladies and gentlemen. This is the podcast's meat and potato season. Uh, Syracuse is 1-0. That's all you need to know. And we are extremely excited to be here all season long. Even when things probably don't stay this upbeat, we'll still be here talking about Syracuse football and being happy about it. Um, I'm Andy Pregler. For Christian de Guzman, for Steve Haller, we just want to say thank you so much for sticking with us for yet what will be our third season together at this point. I think um, second is it second full season, third partial think, season since I think the, the Casillo first season was you and me, and then we grabbed yeah. Christian last year, and then mm-hmm. here we are. I again. think I jo- I think I joined in January last year. Yeah, and, um, after the first time you guys did this, and then so we've been together for almost three years, uh, which is crazy that Casillo has been gone that long. Uh, even though I don't think that's accurate, but no, the pod, we've been doing we've only, we've only been doing the actual <laughs> pod for uh, maybe well since Casillo left, so yeah, um, sometime beginning of this year, January ish. But um, yeah, but yeah, I mean between the old uh, live stream well, and whatnot. one more and one more interesting wrinkle for this UConn game. Oh uh, dear, uh, Kevin just posted this in our Slack. Apparently, UConn calls their D line War Daddies. Oh Jesus. Oh, War of the War Daddies, first of their name. Uh, I don't actually watch Game of Thrones, so I'm I'm gonna rely on y'all for that. I'll work That's on that. Steve. That's yeah. Steve. Um, what the guy with the nerd podcast is really the one you're gonna ask on this? Come on. No, uh, wow, really? <laughs> oh, uh, other side uh, note: uh, future home games, whenever we have them again. Uh, yep. During the tailgates, uh, we're trying to. We have a stockpile of Noon's Magician shirts and koozies. And uh, in order to get our former Lord and Savior, uh, John Casillo, back some of the money that he spent on them, uh, <laughs> we're going to, you know, sell them whenever. Like, if you guys ever want a Noon's Magician shirt, I'm going to be bringing them to all the home games. So find us in the Harrison lot. Uh, we're usually right on the corner of University and Harrison. You can't miss us. Um, 
and you know maybe i'll get like a big noon's magician banner to fly or whatever so we'll see we'll see what we can do but um yeah if you want if you want noon's magician slag or swag slag um (laughs) (laughs) what yeah you can take it and do whatever you want with it but uh we have t-shirts so we can uh we can go from there find steve i will not have the t-shirts in connecticut but you should find me so we can drink and make fun of yukon fans um that is it for the nudes magician podcast this fine week one post game show thank you all for listening thank you if you uh watched on newsmagician.com we appreciate it thank you for watching live on twitch we really appreciate you spending your sunday nights with us um thank you if you're listening to the auto uh to the audio version of this wherever you may be make sure you like and subscribe so that way we can expand the reach of the ottoman empire thank you as always to our sponsor home field apparel Remember to use promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. Thank you, as always, to Steve and Christian. uh, And thank you to everybody who ensured that the Carrier Dome was loud as hell for a crowd of... We never touched on that. Holy hell. It's like like a crowd of 35, and it sounded like a crowd of 55. (laughs) And that was a factor, because it's not the Carrier Dome. It's the JMA Wireless Dome. Get it correct. With still the carry- <laughs> It's the carrier dome until they install new Wi-Fi. That is the rule. <laughs> the AC, Wait, so what though, was the I carrier walked- dome after the AC? <laughs> I walked out of the dome and it was warmer outside in September, and I was like, "Hold on, this doesn't compute. Like something's wrong." So, um, but yeah, loudest I've heard the dome in years. Like probably since it was like packed, packed for the 2018 games, and still like yeah that was i shout out to otto's army and whatever but like Mm -hmm. they they brought it and the rest of the dome picked it up so uh yeah keep it up because that was like that literally did throw cunningham off before like numerous times Mm -hmm. so good we can throw we can throw purdue off and turn it into a per did that would make me happy oh god you're already working on the dad jokes let's get out of here that's yeah. <laughs> Let's leave on that note. Go Syracuse Orange. is one and oh. Go Orange. Go Orange. Shout out, Shout out War Daddy. War Daddy. <laughs>